You hear me? I love baby dedications. Okay, I just love babies. It's not a secret. Um, I genuinely think that children are amazing creations. And um, going even beyond that, I love little children at Christmas. I love watching them. I love the wonder in their eyes. I love the excitement getting towards Christmas morning. And I think that uh, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he speaks about being childlike. And I think we can all use going back to that sense of wonder when it comes to Christmas. Because I know, for me, getting older, I have lost a little bit of that when it comes to Christmas. And I'm just going to just be frank here. So Christmas, I feel like, divides the world into two groups of people. Group number one, you're the Christmas people and you know who you are. You have your Christmas decorations up on November 1st. You are playing the Christmas carols. You have all your Christmas shopping done by November 30th. Christmas crafts is like the joyous thing that you love to do. And my best friend is one of these Christmas people. And she just, it's like the whole, she loves everything about it. And I think it's wonderful. I bless you to be like that. I fall in the other camp of the Christmas people. So as soon as Christmas starts, getting closer, there's this little slight kind of feel of panic inside, and, and if we get our Christmas decorations up two weeks before Christmas, it's a good year. If we get them up three weeks before Christmas, it goes down in brand family history. So it's like, it, it's just a different feeling because when I look back on Christmas, not all my memories are good ones, and so some of you might relate to that. So some of my memories of Christmas, and there was good moments, and you know, I, I can think back and I can remember those, but... So there was a lot of stress and there was a lot of anxiety and some painful things that I don't really want to think about. And the same goes for my husband too. So we've really had to force ourselves to create something different for our children. And uh, it hasn't always been an easy thing. And so it hasn't been like peace on earth for our family or in the brand, brand family household at all. So I thought it very ironic and I thought it would be a time for me to grow um, to speak to you on peace today. So um, we're going to talk about the theme of peace. Corey spoke beautifully on the theme of love last week um, as we continue our Advent series. And Advent being a time when we as Christians slow down and we take the time to reflect on uh, and look forward to the coming uh, celebration of Christmas Day, of course, being the birth of Jesus. Um, but not only that, we also... Um, are excited and we start to look forward and we think about the future hope of Jesus coming back again. So there's these two things that we uh, celebrate during Advent. But this piece that we're talking about today, you know, what is it really about? Um, I know that if you ask the parents that were here today, and if you ask any parents of young children here in this audience what they think peace means, it would fall along the lines of when our children are finally asleep. That would kind of encapsulate what peace means to them. <clears throat> and in our culture, it is generally accepted that peace means an absence of conflict. And as a mother of four boys, I can genuinely, genuinely tell you there was a season of our uh, parenting life. It was a long season, probably between 10 and 15 years where I literally thought my kids would not stop fighting. I thought it was our destiny. I thought they were just, they were never going to get along. There was constant strife in our home. Thank you. And uh, if there was ever a moment where we would have all four of our boys in the same room at the same time, and they were getting along, Darren and I would like look at each other from across the room and be like, 
don't move, don't breathe, no sudden movements, just like take it in, breathe it in, they're getting along, is this actually happening? And then within seconds, poof, it would be gone, someone would punch somebody, someone stole a piece of Lego, moment gone. So this piece <laughs> would just be this elusive thing that we uh, longed for, but at Christmas time, peace is everywhere, right? Uh, it's one of the most popular and well-known phrases used this time of year. It's on Christmas cards. We sing it in Christmas carols. Yeah, I've seen it on uh, Christmas home decor in HomeSense, so super cute little pillows with peace on earth embroidered on it. Um, and it's a phrase, you know, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's something that has crossed all religious boundaries and is used regularly by everyone at this time of year. And it's kind of embodied the spirit of Christmas cheer, right? Christmas, the Christmas spirit. But it originates from a promise given the night Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. And it means so much more than just the absence of conflict. And I'm hoping that I can broaden your understanding of what this peace means and uh, explore what God's promises of peace on earth. So let's take a look. And so our first uh, passage we're going to look at, cue the slide. First time working with slides. So if this works out, going to be great. So Luke 2, uh, verses 8 to 14. I think we're reading it actually from the King James here, but I'm, uh, I'm reading it from the New King James, so it might be a little bit different. So this will be familiar to you. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel with, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men peace on earth. That's the promise. But what does it really mean? So peace means different things to different people. I've spoken to people who have moved here from other countries, and for them, arriving in Canada brought an immediate sense of peace. They weren't afraid to walk out of their front door and be carjacked. They weren't afraid that there was a bomb going to go off in their neighborhood. They just uh, felt the sense of safety gave them peace. That's what it meant to them, safety. And I know and have had dear friends, maybe you know people like this, who were extremely frugal. Like I'm talking about painfully frugal. Plenty of money in the bank, but they chose to hold on to their money so tight because it gave them some peace of mind. For them, this so-called financial security brought them peace. And they're, for the patient who's anxiously awaiting lab results to tests that have been done, and all clear would bring immediate relief, so good health would bring them peace. And for someone struggling with an alcohol or a drug addiction, when asked why they're in that situation, uh, you'll hear things like getting high gives them some peace for a short period of time and allows them to forget. So they're looking for some emotional and for an inner peace. So I thought it would be prudent to look at what this peace on earth is not in order to understand what it really is. So first... It is not a promise that we would be free from the cares of this world. Well, we'd like it to mean that, but that is not what it means. That we would escape pain and anxiety and fear. That's not what it meant. And let's be honest here. We're living in a time 
when the population is truly recovering from a global trauma. Uh, there was a, a survey done by the World Health Organization in March of this year that said that the pandemic has triggered a 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression globally, worldwide. That is a staggering, <laughs> staggering statistic, 25%. And based on those statistics alone, there are probably people in this room who are struggling or know someone who's been affected by crippling anxiety or serious other mental health issues. And I watched someone that I love very much come completely undone by a mental health crisis, and I prayed every day that she would find peace. And it was scary and it was painful to watch. And for those of you who have had diagnosed or perhaps undiagnosed general anxiety disorders um, or other mental health uh, disorders, please hear the empathy in my heart and don't tune out because these promises apply to you as well. Um, your journey to wholeness may look different than other people and it may include things like medication and counseling, but I want you to know there is hope for you in God's promise of peace today. And there is hope in the God of peace. So stay with me. So we know that this peace on earth is not a freedom from adversity. That is one thing that is not. So I'm going to bring up Isaiah 9. It is so funny, I find, how God just sort of aligns things with the worship. I didn't, had no idea what they were reading today. And we're reading Isaiah 9 again. So get used to it. Here we go. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So when it, Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah 700 years before uh, Jesus was born, he was not talking about a prince who would go to battle against the Romans who were oppressing the Jewish people at the time, because that is what the Jewish people were looking for. They were looking for a warrior. They were looking for someone who was going to get rid of the Romans and bring peace to Israel, that they would be free from that uh, war. And he wasn't uh, talking about uh, the absence of conflict in Israel. That's not what this prince was going to do. So it is not a promise to end conflict. That is not what peace on earth means, that wars would cease. Actually, the opposite is true. So when I was doing some research, um, I found a nonprofit organization, and it's ACLED, which, sound, which stands for Armed Conflict Location and Event Data. Big mouthful. Basically, their sole purpose is to track global armed conflict. And for those of you who suffer with anxiety, you can just plug your ears for two seconds because they let a report out at the beginning of the year, 2022, that the title of this report was 10 Conflicts to Worry About in 2022. That's what it was called, 10 Conflicts to Worry About. And they included, this is not all of them, Ethiopia, Yemen, Afghanistan, Colombia, Nigeria, Sudan, and Haiti. And this was released just before Russia invaded the Ukraine. So no, peace on earth does not mean the absence of conflict. So why don't we look at what it actually means? In the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom. And it is a very complex word that's rich with meaning. And it comes from an ancient word, shalam. And it really helps to paint a picture here. So here we go. It first appears in Exodus 21 and 22, and actually appeared 14 times in those two chapters. And Moses was speaking to the people of Israel, and he was giving them kind of the lay of the land and the rules that they were to abide by. And he was addressing specifically what would happen if there was a theft 
or a material loss. So if uh, somebody stole the sheep and burned down the crops, what would they do? And it was said that the one responsible was to make things right or bring shalem, make full restitution or restore what was stolen. So an ancient meaning was to make something whole. So I'll bring up the definition of shalom. So this carries into, there it is, amazing. Which means an inward sense of completeness or fullness, a type of wholeness that encourages you to give back, restoration, well-being, and it flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, with oneself, and with others. It can refer to an absence of war, but more commonly refers to an inner completeness and tranquility. And the Greek word, which I don't have up here, is erene, and it elaborates just a little bit more. It says it's a tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. So it sounds pretty amazing, a tranquil soul. So it's a soul peace. That's what the angels were talking about. And it's hard to find an example because the idea of shalom really is quite complex and layered. So I'm going to give you a couple of really simple examples to sort of try to help paint this picture for you. So this one's going out to my puzzle peeps in the room. So those of you who do puzzles and are a little bit nerdy like me and enjoy doing puzzles, I do usually one large puzzle when I go on holiday every year. And once in a while, I'll pick a thousand piece puzzle that is just painful to do. I don't know if you've done these where they put them out and it just seems like it's one piece every 20 minutes. It's absolutely terrible. There's no pattern. It's just chaos. And you plug away for days and days and days, plugging away at this puzzle. And then when you're about 95% of the way through the puzzle, all of a sudden, things start coming together. Click, 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 click. It's a beautiful thing. And you're racing toward that final moment when you have the last piece of the puzzle and you put it in the center. Click. And what I do every time I finish a puzzle, I literally take a breath in and I take my hands and I brush over this completed puzzle. And I'm like, it is complete now. It is done. I have brought order, chaos into order. And that is just, I mean, I know I'm a little bit weird, but I'm just, that is literally what I do. So just that gives you a small taste of shalom. Another really good example, I was up with my parents uh, this weekend and uh, I was visiting with my mom and she said, oh, it's our anniversary today. And I'm like, no, it's not. I had a panic moment where I'm like, did I literally forget their anniversary? It's not, it's in March. It was their <laughs> second anniversary. And I was reminded because I had forgotten that on December the 10th, 1994, a year before uh, Darren and I got married, my parents renewed their vows. And we had uh, a ceremony in our home in Streetsville, Mississauga. And uh, they had had a, a you know lovely friends there. My siblings and I we sang a song. It was quite a, a beautiful ceremony. And anytime anybody does this, I think it's a great thing to do. What made this event unique is that my parents had been separated for five years, and my father, for all for all intents and purposes, the children, us, we thought it was over. We're like, my dad is actually living with somebody else at this point. It is over. It is done. We told my mother, please please, please just let him go. It is over. But God had given my mom a promise and she, you know, my mother will stand firm until her dying breath. And she stood firm in that promise that God was going to restore that marriage. And to make a very long story short, within about a six month period of time, my dad had left where he was, uh, where he was living at the time with this other lady, that relationship ended, and he started to date my mother, and within a year, they were having that service in her home in Mississauga, and they had 
renewed their vows to one another. And so that day was a day where something broken was restored. Something really broken, God made right again. So we experienced shalom that day. So uh, shalom, you'll also often hear uh, Jewish people greeting each other with the word shalom. It is still used used today, and it's their version of hello or goodbye. But they're actually wishing on one another when they say shalom in greeting, the full presence, peace, and prosperity of all the blessedness of God. So it kind of puts our English greeting in a really bad light. Like, hi, hi, (laughs) hello, hey, sad, make shalom. I'm going to start using it, so just so you know. So shalom encompasses three things here that we're going to talk about. The first one is peace with God. So peace with God. And we're going to look at Romans 5, uh, verse 1. But fundamentally, this shalom in our context means a reconciliation or a making whole of our relationship with God through Jesus. And Vic talked about this today. Because you see, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, came to bring wholeness and restoration to the broken relationship between humanity and God. There was a barrier between God and his children, and Jesus paid the price, and now there would be peace. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians 1.22 says this, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, and free from accusation. And there is a Christmas carol that we sing. We didn't sing it today. That would have been awesome. But there's a Christmas carol that we sing every year, and it really encapsulates what this means. And it goes something like this. Feel free to hum. I'm not humming. Here we go. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. And that is what the angels were talking about that night. I can't even say it any better than that. That, that is it. So um, the next part that um, Shalom addresses is a peace within ourselves. And this really is a big one. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, there's this ep- epidemic of unhappiness, and all you really need to do is go into your local Chapters in Indigo store and look at the self-help section. And if you go into the self-help section, you will see that there is a huge demand for inner peace. Huge. Um, authors are trying to bring some peace to your inner turmoil. Could be turmoil over your past failures. Could be turmoil over your failed relationships. Could be your unmet expectations in life, your jobs, your finances. Everything from turmoil over sexuality to flabby thighs. You will find a book on it in your chapter store. People, they're searching for it everywhere. If I only have enough money in my bank account, I will have peace. If I can only get that coach bag that I saw at the mall on the left-hand side, bright blue, three shelves down. Three shelves down. My kids are not getting it. So anyway, talk to them later. (laughs) Peace. Peace is big business today. It's huge business today. The demand for therapy is skyrocketing. Pharmaceuticals, narcotics are being used in record numbers. Meditation courses, Zen retreats, you name it. Everyone is trying to find some inner peace. But the peace that God brings is literally unfathomable. 
it, it actually says that. So I'm going to try to explain it to you, but until you really experience it, it's going to be difficult to grasp because it is not the peace that the world brings. It isn't. It's completely different. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. There's an incident that is recounted in the autobiography of Martin Luther King that I want to read to you. In 1956 in Montgomery, Alabama, in the height of the civil rights movement, he, Dr. King, had been receiving daily death threats and was afraid for his life, his wife and his new baby girl. And it came to a head one night when he was awoken at midnight by the phone ringing and an angry voice on the other end, threatening to make him sorry he ever came to Montgomery. He heated a pot of coffee up and stood in his kitchen wondering how he could step down from leaving this movement without looking like a coward. He was scared and he was discouraged and he was in despair. With his head in his hands, King bowed over his kitchen table and he prayed aloud in desperation. He told God he was weak and he had nothing left. And then he listened. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared and I was ready to face anything. His circumstances had not changed, but his perspective did. His situation did not get better. In fact, it got worse. About two weeks after this encounter, his home was bombed. Thankfully, his wife and child were not, weren't, weren't harmed, but his situation did not get easier. He goes on to say this, in the midst of outer dangers, I have felt an inner calm and known resources of strength that only God could give. In many instances, I have felt the power of God transforming the fatigue of despair into the buoyancy of hope. Now you might say, well, that was Dr. Martin Luther King. So he's like, gotta be on God's like top five people to help in the world. So like, he's not going to be worried about my measly little life over here, but I really, I beg to differ with you. Because you see, like Dr. King, we need to change our line of vision. Uh, Pastor Ashley Anderson from the church in New York City put it like this. We need a radical reorientation of our perspective in the presence of Jesus. That's so important, I'm going to say it again. We need a radical reorientation of our perspective in the presence of Jesus. Because that's what Dr. King experienced. So our, our, yeah, he's right there. Peace within ourselves. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 says this. Do not, you'll, you'll, this, is, this is probably one of the most highlighted verses in the Bible. It is definitely in mine several times over in different colors. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to just take a moment and think here. Can you imagine living a life without fear? Because anxiety and fear go hand in hand. But really, think about what that would look like for you. It would be life-altering, right? And it seems it's not really possible. It's a pipe dream. But that's not what this verse is saying. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to practice a new way of living, a reorientation of our perspective, and a recalibration of our priorities. Because it starts with prayer. It starts with getting in the presence of Jesus. And then it shifts to gratitude. Remembering the goodness of God and who he is. And remembering how he has met you in the past and how he has loved you and carried you. And it culminates in petitioning God with our needs. And this can be as honest and as messy as it needs to be. Because God can handle it.
And as I was studying this verse, I wondered why it said that this peace of God, that thing that we all long for, why it doesn't say here that the peace of God will fill our hearts. It says it will guard our hearts and minds. And that's because our hearts and minds need guarding. Like seriously, where's the battle all the time? It's in our thoughts, it's in our minds. And because that's where the fear resides, that's where the worry hides, that's where the shame kind of simmers underneath the surface. Oh, this problem, this one right here, you shouldn't tell anybody about this problem. This one, this one is really big. You should worry about it right now. But the, the key thing here is we have to learn to take our eyes off of our problems, our pain, and our fear, and raise them 45 degrees upward. There has to be a shift in our perspective because if we are consumed and solely focused on our own pain and our own fear and our own anxiety, we will never experience his peace. Whew. Preaching up here. So there is a very well-known passage um, in the Bible that I love, and it's the passage where Jesus walks on the water in Matthew 14. And it says that, and I'm going to do a bit of paraphrasing here. So it says that uh, Jesus was on the land and the, and the disciples had gone ahead in the boat and the wind started up. So it says that the wind was against them. And so Jesus starts to walk his way to the boat. And at first uh, the disciples were terrified and thought it was a ghost. And realizing that, no, I think it's Jesus. Peter, God of Peter, says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come and I will come. And then Jesus says, Come. So it says that Peter got out of the boat and he walked toward Jesus. And it wasn't until what happened. He took his eyes off of Jesus that he began to sink. We all know what happens next. Jesus caught his arm and says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And they both got into the boat and the wind died down. But what I hadn't thought about before was that Jesus didn't calm the storm before he called Peter out of the boat. He invited him to meet him in the storm. That's huge. Because I was thinking about it. I'm like, okay, first of all, I, like, he could have calmed the waters first. Because first of all, walking on the water is a pretty big deal. So let's like ease Peter into this whole walking on the water thing. Let's calm it and say, okay, well, you know, you can do this, Peter. Come on, walk on the water. He didn't. He called him to meet him in the storm. He invited him out. In Isaiah 26.3, I don't have this up here, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And that's the peace of God that we can have within ourselves. Because when our eyes are locked in, on Jesus, we can get out of the boat. And then the final one is peace with others. Here we go. I'm going to read a couple verses here. Matthew 5.9 says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I'll read the next one too. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So how do we be the peacemakers that Jesus wants us to be? The word maker here means to do or to make, and it is literally bursting with activity. It is not a passive word. William Barclay translates this to mean they are people who produce right relationships in every sphere of life. Every sphere of life. That's a tall order. 
And it's not just a decision to stop fighting. Fine, I'll be, the, you know, I won't fight. I won't say anything. I'll keep my mouth closed, right? It speaks of restoring broken relationships, forgiving injustice, pursuing unity with both your neighbor and your enemy alike. And it does not mean it's necessarily a peaceful thing to do. Being a peacemaker can be messy, it can be difficult, and sometimes it just doesn't work. You can try and try and try, and it just it doesn't work, which is what Romans 12 talks about, as far as it depends on you. Because there are people, and you know who they are, where they're just going to pick a fight with you no matter what. So you can try and do the peace thing, and they will just never let it go, right? They're going to pick a fight and pick a fight and pick. We're not talking about solving that problem. But where as far as it depends on you to have peace towards them and to offer them shalom, that is what God is asking. And being a peacemaker is not a personality type. I've been told that I tend towards being a peacemaker. But I really don't think it's, it's you know, a personality type. Like, it's only for those people who genuinely, it's easy for them. Like, they can just come into a room and kind of make peace with everybody. And I tend to be really good at mediating. So I'll be like, hey, sit down, let's do this. And so, but it's for all of us. It really is a call for all of us. It's an intentional decision to be a bringer of God's promise of shalom to the people who need it. I could literally speak an hour just on this. So I'm going to wrap up um, by, say, by a challenge for you. So my challenge to you tonight is to look for ways that we can bring this peace to others. It may be that family member at your Christmas gathering table that just rubs you the wrong way. You know they're there. Don't act like it's, it's like, no, not my family. It is in my family. It is everywhere. So it could be that. It could be a cranky neighbor who just needs some kindness. And I have those too. It could be a decision to pursue peace and forgiveness when everything in you just wants justice and revenge. It's a big one. And I also extend an invitation to all of you who struggle daily with anxiety, with fear, with doubt. The invitation is to experience the peace of God within. The peace that surpasses any of our understanding that can banish fear from a kitchen table in Montgomery, Alabama. The peace that comes when we raise our gaze 45 degrees upward. The peace that is Jesus, the one who calls us to meet him on the water in the storms of our life and not look down. I extend an invitation for all of you here who are searching for peace. The peace with God that comes because of that babe born in Bethlehem. The one who came to reconcile God and sinners. When we surrender to him, we are absolutely 100% without blemish before a holy God, forever reconciled because of the gift of Jesus. And I invite you to open your heart to him tonight. And I wanted to end with a very well-known blessing from the Old Testament that is just as powerful now as it was then. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his, this makes me cry every time. Give me a second. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Shalom, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lucy. I trust you were impacted by that. Lucy actually asked me just to come and just to wrap it up. 
uh, and she wasn't gracious enough to share her notes with me beforehand. So I was making notes, making sure I was tracking all the way so that I could somehow, uh, you know, wrap it up in this moment. So um, I, uh, I want to extend Philippians chapter 4 just a little bit. So Liam, uh, you can put that Philippians chapter 4 verse up there, but then you can see if you can find uh, chapter 4 verse 9. So don't put it up yet, but um, have it ready. No, 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 you can put that up yet, but just not verse 9. Thanks, my boy. Uh, we're talking about the peace of God, and you know she broke it up into those three categories. Uh, peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others. And um, as you continue to read this verse, because that sounds like a great promise. I, my heart and my mind guarded and, you know, in a world full of turmoil and anxiety and uncertainty. Man, this is, the, this is what we're looking for, the peace of God. Um, but if you keep reading just two verses down, you can put verse 9 up now. And this is uh, Paul, the apostle, who's writing uh, to the Philippian church. But, you know, he, he tells them that they should imitate him in the first half of it. But then at the end, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. And, you know, we, we like to read verses in context. We don't just want to pull one out and, you know, keep that one. Because you've you got to keep reading. You've got to see this whole passage in its context. Is that in, the reality is, is you will not have the peace of God until you get the God of peace. <laughs> and, and so I do want to end off um, adding to the invitation that Lucy said of, you know, being a peacemaker and, and working out this peace. But if you want to get it right, I, I want to put this to you that, you, you can probably only get it right if you invite the God of peace to be with you. And this is what this Christmas time is all about. God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God with us. And so God is not just wanting to like give us peace sort of from a distance and throw it at us and hope you can catch it. He wants to be present like he invited Peter onto that stormy sea. That's, that's, that's where the magic is, is the presence Lucy said, to change your perspective in the presence of the Lord. And so there's an invitation for the God of peace to be with you. When Jesus said to his disciples, he's going to ascend into heaven and, you know, this whole Advent season, we're not just remembering that he had come uh, in, 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 um, in the flesh, you know, over Christmas is what we celebrate, but that he would come again. But he said to his disciples, I won't leave you as orphans. Uh, he said, I would send the Spirit. And we experience the presence of God now while we wait for the return of Jesus through the work of the Spirit. And there's that invitation that God wants to be with us. By His Spirit, He can be with each and every one of us, no matter where you are. When Jesus walked the earth with His disciples in the flesh, if you wanted to be with Jesus, you, got to, you had to follow Him literally, physically. Get out the boat onto the water or, or walk between cities and towns and villages. And He, and he proclaimed a message and, and He did what He needed to do. But then when He ascended into heaven, He said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh that includes you in this room so that He could be with you. So that you don't just have the peace of God, some impersonal, fuzzy, warm feeling, but the God of peace walking with you. So why don't you close your eyes just for a moment? This is the final invitation. And if you're here today and you, you know, you've experienced moments of peace, but the God of peace with you, that's maybe a piece of the puzzle that you would love to just click in and, you know, rub your hands over and say, wow, I'm, that's a kind of shalom that I have never experienced before. And, and the Holy Spirit is here inviting you. 
He's been doing that the whole time, even during our worship time. You could run from the Lord, but there's no way you can hide. So actually, why don't you run to the Lord and take refuge in Him? He wants to be with you. He wants to be in your life to the extent that these parents have done when they stood up on the stage. Making Him central. The invitation is for you. To, to do that. So if you're here tonight and you can't with confidence say that you've had the God of peace with you, but you so desperately want the peace of God, just let him in. Accept the gift that he's offering you. This is the biggest gift. This is what the Christmas gift ultimately is about. It's God giving of himself. He gave his life for you on that cross so that God and sinners may be reconciled. And so the way that you get to be with God as you admit you're a sinner in need of saving. And it's not a problem because he took care of it. He took care of paying the penalty, paying the price. So if you're here tonight, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but I'm going to ask you to just pray a very sincere prayer in your heart. Don't have to put your hand up. No one will know. Only you and the Lord. And you say, Lord, I admit that I am not at peace with you. And it's for all sorts of reasons, but I'm admitting my need for a Savior. And that's why you came, to be with me, to rescue me. Just stop running from him and run to him in this moment. Accept his gift of salvation, which includes himself, his very presence here. Receive from him as you admit your need. And I trust that by the Holy Spirit right now, the peace of God will flood your life.